this is a room to grow after dark episode. I've started this series to, I always tackle uncomfortable topics, but these after dark ones are sort of like next level. I can read these statistics about, you know, most American men being politicians or billionaires or CEOs and this and that and feel I am the quote unquote underprivileged one. But when you look at other metrics, you're actually not. You know, it's so easy, I think, for many of us, white males in particular, to feel like there's a label quickly associated to us. It's like, what did I do? A different set of perspectives that you can start making as opposed to relying on old paradigms and assumptions or that you have adopted through singular experiences and then writing off an entire I didn't realize how grateful I would be for this conversation. It kind of just makes me realize I feel like I need to have more conversations with men in my life. Hey, hey, welcome back to the Room to Grow podcast. Emily here. And today's episode is one of my favorite podcast episodes I have ever done. Also, potentially the most uncomfortable. So this is a room to grow podcast after dark episode. And I've started this, this series called the after dark. There's, there's only, this is only the second one that I've done, but basically it's when I do a bit of a round table discussion about particularly <laughs> sensitive topics. Um, the last one was about abortion. This one is about gender equality, but from angles that you probably haven't considered before and in ways that are probably going to trigger the shit out of you. That is my disclaimer for this episode is that it is, it is probably going to trigger the shit out of you. The second thing that I will say about this episode is that it could completely shift and alter the way that you show up in the world and the way that you interact with your fellow human beings in the best possible ways, like nothing else you may have ever even thought about. Truly. I really do mean that. This is a very tricky conversation. And I brought on, um, my really dear friends, uh, Chelsea Wallace and Greg Ryder to have this conversation with me. And what is necessary to tell you about uh, Chelsea and Greg is that Chelsea is a identifies as a she is a black cis het woman, and Greg is a white cis het male heterosexual male. Um, I am a white cis het woman, and I w- very specifically am telling you that because I was extremely intentional about who I brought on for this conversation. And the, the exceptionally unique perspectives that they could bring to the table on this. And this, this entire conversation originated because I reposted, um, to my Instagram, a post that it it's about gender equality, but again, from angles that we don't normally consider. So it was talking about, I'll go into it more in the episode. You'll hear me talking about it. It was, and I've referenced it in the show notes as well. If you want to go check it out, it's from the account, uh, at the tin men, uh, really, really interesting account and very fascinating statistics that they post, uh, all very backed up with credible sources. Um, and it's, it's really interesting how he covers these issues around men and how men are treated in the world and looking at it through the lens that often isn't covered. And when I reposted this at Chelsea, who is, who has been a dear friend of mine for, for many, many years, she commented that it, it actually shifted the way that she thinks about privilege. And Chelsea and I have had many conversations over the years about systemic racism and privilege many, many, many times. Um, it is an ongoing conversation that we continuously have. And I'm always looking to 
better understand these really difficult topics and, and angles of really intense topics. And then we thought, okay, well, if Chelsea and I want to talk about this more because she made some absolutely incredible points to me, I'm like, ah, oh, here's a podcast episode. <laughs> and she's like, okay, but then we need to bring on a male to talk about this as well. You're absolutely right. We can't talk about men for this type of discussion without bringing a male into it. And Greg was the absolute perfect fit for this. He has so many incredible thoughts and Everyone here is, is really, all of us had agreed beforehand that we were most interested in listening and learning. And I really want to thank both of them for being so brave to come on and talk about this because while we often hear that people want gender equality, it can be oddly skewed and, and bringing up some of the aspects around gender equality in relation to men can be a very hot button issue. I know people that get canceled or are given full-blown hate and even death threats thrown around over talking about these issues. And, and I will actually reference, again, very specific posts to that point where you can go take a look at that. Uh, it's actually a little bit sickening. Um, but if you want proof to back that up, I have that proof for you. And as much as we say as a society that we're supportive of men's health, especially men's mental health, the reality of it can be very different when it comes to addressing the more practical aspects or touching on parts of these issues that are not particularly popular. And the problem with this perspective is that it further isolates. It, it further divides and creates more division. And men in general are already much more societally isolated regardless of color. And I need to really stress here that comparative suffering serves no one. This is not a challenge of who has it worse. This is shining a light on different angles of very complicated issues that you may not have previously considered, including sharing cold, hard facts, stats, and data that speak for themselves. And these definitely are not the statistics that you're hearing about on the news. We need to be creating ways to connect, not divide, while absolutely still acknowledging the innate privileges that come with being a white, cis, heterosexual uh, male in, in particular, like that's just one particular group, but that's, that's the one that often gets singled out and actively taking steps simultaneously to dismantle systemic racism. And truly this conversation, I may have already triggered the shit out of you just in this intro. <laughs> And I, I, have, I have a couple of very specific requests for you in listening to this. Number one is that I'm going to ask you to listen with an open mind and to listen to the entire episode because context and nuance matters. And this is not the type of episode that a small soundbite or two will suffice because there's so many perspectives that need to be covered. And we're going to try and cover as many as we can and from three unique perspectives as a black woman, a white man, and a white woman. We're going to be examining some of the ways that we define privilege as well. And this, and I also really want to say, so number two, the, the second disclaimer I want to offer here is that this conversation is best listened to by humans who have begun their personal journey of healing already. If you are in a moment of time where you are still in the throes of really deep pain, especially at the hands of a man or a woman in your life, you may not be exactly who we're speaking to on here because we wouldn't expect anything like what we're discussing of you. 
And the personal healing needs to take place before these other considerations can maybe begin to really take hold. And that isn't a better or worse thing. It's simply a a different place on your journey. So if you're ready to hear an absolutely fascinating conversation, in my personal opinion, um, that actually, it, it, it actually became quite emotional by the end for all involved parties, but in a really ultimately actually a really positive way. All of us agreed on that. Um, we may actually do another one of these in, in a, in a few months to not, not only circle back to some of these things, but to also expand because like, we are just barely scratching the surface with this episode. I am not sitting over here pretending that this covers all the things. This is a very small snapshot of some very difficult issues. So if you are ready, (laughs) buckle up, prepare yourself. Um, and I really, really encourage you to listen to the, to the entire episode in full and let me know what you think about this. I'd really, really like to hear what you think about this. And I, I just, again, really want to give both Chelsea and Greg so much credit. And if you want to connect with either one of them, all their information is listed in the show notes for you to connect with them. They are both incredible, incredible humans. Um, please go say hello to them. And if you want to send me a message about your thoughts with all of this, you can find me over at Instagram at Emily Goff coach, or you can send me an email at info at Emily Again, everything is in the show notes, or you can jump over to room to grow podcast.com. And this is also a little bit longer episode, uh, than usual as well. But again, we had so many points to cover and there's also three of us, whereas normally it's a two person episode. So we had a lot to talk about. So prepare yourself and this is absolutely worth it. I promise you that this episode is worth listening to. So take a listen. So I'm going to actually talk first about, um, just the post that initially triggered this conversation. So I do a lot of work with men. Um, I have started to become much more well-known both in my personal and professional circles for being a staunch and frankly, fierce defender and supporter of men. I'm also a feminist because yes, you can be both. Um, and I don't even really like defending, like using any of those types of labels. Basically I am just team human. And the post that I, uh, that I put up that Chelsea, you messaged me about, and then it triggered this, this whole episode coming to be it's, uh, from an account called the tin men. And I will reference both the post and the Instagram account, uh, in the show notes. So everyone can go check it out. It's one of my favorite accounts I have ever, I think it is my absolute favorite account I've ever come across in relation to issues relating to men. And the post was about how do we measure equality? And the fact that we often only address gender equality by incredibly narrow metrics. So for example, one metric that often gets referred to is that 85% of fortune 500 CEOs are men. That is absolutely true. And that is not necessarily a measure of equality that is relevant to all of the other people who are not CEOs. So a lot of times we will use, and and this is still like very much in relation to to this post. This is what this, this particular post was talking about, that yes, most politicians are male. Most heads of state are male. Most senators, most billionaires, most CEOs, they're all men. Most of them, not all of them. (laughs) But the vast majority of men are actually not any of those things. And then we have to look at some other aspects of gender equality. So for example, the fact that 70% of American homeless people are male, 
87% of American billionaires are male, but there are well over 260,000 homeless men. There are 626 billionaires who are men. We have to look at both because American men are 416 times more likely to become homeless than to become a billionaire. Those are some pretty stark numbers that, that we have to really think about. And when we also start to dig into other aspects of this, these measures of equality, American men die at a rate of 100, uh, sorry, American men die at a rate 1.4 times higher than American women. American men lead in nine of the top 10 causes of death. Men live shorter lives in every single country on earth. A girl born in the UK is 75% more likely today to go to end up going to university than a boy. And the post finishes talking about how choosing how we measure equality is a privilege of its own. And Chelsea, for you in particular, I think that, that this really resonated with you. You sent me a message about it because you and I have had many conversations about race and systemic racism. In fact, we regularly do. This is not something of the past. This is something that you and I have, have done for years and continue to have these, these uncomfortable conversations. And for you as a black woman to then send me a message saying that you felt as though that, that post changed your definition of privilege and the way you looked at privilege, that hit me really hard because I was like, wow, coming from someone like you who I have so much respect for, who I have had so many conversations with about these very difficult issues around privilege, that was really significant that, that you said that and, and saw it through this other lens. So I'd love to hear from you first um, before we kind of like get into more of an open discussion about how that sort of affected you and how it shifted something for you. Yeah, I mean it was, it was challenging to read, you know, it is, it's very triggering. It's, it's really, really challenging to read because, and I think the post said it best in that kind of last section where it pointed out, it's a privilege to even choose how you define privilege, Mm -hmm. right? There are a lot of people who don't even actually get to think about privilege at all. They don't have the space in their lives because they're living the reality that makes them quote unquote unprivileged right um and I think as well what kind of hit me was that I can read these statistics about you know most American men being politicians or billionaires or CEOs and this and that and feel really justified in like yeah, we need to change the status quo. Yeah, this 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 needs to be different. This is unjust, unjust and injustice. And I can feel really, in a lot of ways, safe and comfortable in the fact that I am the quote-unquote underprivileged one here in these scenarios, right? But when you look at other metrics, you're actually not. And the fact that I even get to think about that is privilege in and of itself. Um, and so just like, <laughs> just 
just thinking about those stats through that lens and and the fact that they're even statistics and not like individual people right like I'm not living this reality and thinking about that truth is just jarring and it it makes me realize oh crap I am actually the privileged one in a lot of these scenarios I am not as underprivileged as I think I I'm not, injustice is not being perpetuated against me to the degree that I thought it was in a lot of these cases. Mm -hmm. I don't have, I have a leg to stand on and I don't. And I think like recognizing the tension of it was where I was like, oh, (laughs) okay, um, right. (laughs) (laughs) Just like recognizing that yeah, it's not, it's not as simple. It's not as straightforward as I'd like to think. And if this is true, which we know it is, um, and it's not surprising that it's true, to be completely honest with you, because I've been hearing stats like, you know, girls being more likely to go to school than boys for decades of my life. That's not surprising. Um, so if this is true, then I, me railing against men or feeling threatened by the system as it is, being unsafe within the system as it is, is valid and not as valid as I think. You know, it's like a both end that's uncomfortable because then now there's nuance. Now it's not black and white. Now there's nuance. And now I have to stand in front of any man that I relate to, not as the system and masculine privilege, but as an individual and a human. And I can rail against the system, but at the end of the day, anybody that I relate to is not the system. And so all of a sudden it becomes this this moment of like, yeah, Chelsea, these are people. (laughs) These are people. And at the end of the day, you live within a system and you have to interact and relate to and appreciate people as people. And it's a tension that you have to grapple with because also some of those people like perpetuate the system. So it's just, (laughs) the, the tension is what really shook me and made me realize that privilege is not as, you're privileged you're not I'm I'm a cis woman so I'm privileged I am a like this kind of man so I'm privileged it's not as straightforward as you like to think yeah yeah thank you for sharing that and and I want to come back to the safety part especially as a woman but I first I want to like Greg what are your what are your thoughts on some of this because I sent you the post too and you messaged me a few minutes later you're like wow I just spent 20 minutes getting lost just in the comments of this post (laughs) Yeah, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that or like anything that Chelsea just sort of stated too. Yeah, it's super fascinating. And, you know, my mind goes to just how we absorb and consume information now. And we can just grab headlines and grab stats and just park ourselves in one camp or the other so easily and just put our flag somewhere. But, you know, what Chelsea is saying is the hard work is going past that. The hard work is digging deeper and and you know, looking at the sources and going deep and then reflecting to come back to the things Chelsea is saying, where like, hey, these are individuals, these are people, you know, 
we are so good, we uh, being the media, at throwing these hooks and sinkers in the headlines that just grab us and evoke that emotion right away and position ourselves right away. So it's super fascinating to me to how quick we do that versus the hard work that, you know, so many of us uh, may not want to do to really dig deeper in how we feel about it and where we find ourselves right now, whether it's a label we're holding, a camp or a tribe we're putting ourselves in, what we're putting behind versus the work of how are we going to improve and put ourselves out there and steward the right thing that we actually believe. But again, that takes work. So it's yeah. very fascinating. And and like Greg, how as a male does it affect you when you not only like see some of these stats about men's suffering and about men's pain, but also even when I initially invited you into this conversation, even though I knew that you that you'd be up for it and that you're the perfect person for it, you had a very specific reaction to it that I think we need to address. Like talk to us about that. <laughs> well, it's out of my comfort zone. And that, you know, if you are going to grow and learn and go through some of that, you know, that's that's a good sign that, hey, this is probably something I should lean into a little more. And I think breaking out of our comfort zones is some of the hardest things we do. So, yeah, when you brought the idea to me, I knew right away based on my emotional reaction to the topic, the conversation, I was like, oh, yes, this is something I should probably talk to Emily further about and lean into. <laughs> and then, you know, that allowed me to reflect back over my learning over everything that's been happening over the last handful of years and the resources I dug into and the reflection that I did uh, to try and find out where do I sit in all of this. And, you know, it's so easy, I think, for many of us, you know, white males in particular, to feel like there's a label quickly associated to us. Um, I've talked to many others that feel like their voice, they don't even bother saying anything or putting a comment on anything because why am I going to bother? Um, so that label is hard to take at first. It's like, what did I do? Was I born into this? And you dig deep. And, you know, there's so many, like I grew up in a small town, Southern Ontario, hardworking, farming communities, factory working, you know, base of upbringing where I had to work for everything. You know, I didn't get my first pair of Nikes handed to me. I had to go shovel driveways as a kid and cut the yard. And so it's easy for us to put ourselves in this. I had to work for everything I had point of view or camp. Um, but it's much easier if we start to reframe things a bit. And I found like, we're very used to what underprivileged is. Underprivileged communities, schools, different you know cities, um, poor funding programs. We can relate to that. So for me, it's all about the bridge to put yourself on the right viewpoint into it, the empathetic feelings. And then it starts to shine. Oh, I did not have to face these obstacles. I never had to go into a classroom as being the only white uh, male in the classroom, uh, you know, so it's less about the presence of the benefits and the label that we feel we need to associate with. And I find it's more about the obstacles um, that others are facing that we didn't have to. So I'm constantly trying to learn where that ground is for myself and to have conversations with with people like yourselves around this topic. So yeah, a lot happens in floods when you bring the topic to me. Well, and, that's the thing. And Emily, oh, go ahead, Chelsea. <laughs> if you don't mind me jumping in here, Greg, I'm yeah. listening to you talk. And as I'm listening to you talk about, you know, like your upbringing and where you came from and how you got that first pair of Nikes, I I feel, I'm going to be real. 
yeah. I feel like my stomach churning. And I'm just like immediately in my body reacting to that, like, and getting, you know, defensive almost and being like, yeah, but you didn't have, and I'm like, oh, Chelsea, just let the man talk. <laughs> Hold on a second, just listen. <laughs> right, because, I, and I think like you were saying, right, it's so easy to put ourselves in one camp or another that we don't even stop for a second to let people speak. And I get, I absolutely get it. Underprivileged groups have not had a voice for years. That doesn't mean that you, like everybody must shut up and listen to you speak now. I'm sorry, it doesn't, okay? If, if you're the only one who's talking and nobody else gets to talk, we don't get to meet in the middle. And is your goal to actually move forward as a society society, or is the goal to like burn everything down? Because if the goal is to burn everything down, fine. Like if we're, if we're just like burning everything to the ground, great. Then nobody else needs to talk, right? That's not a problem. But that's not the discussion we're having today. <laughs> we're not trying to kill everybody and burn everything <laughs> down. We're trying to move forward as a society. We're trying to move forward as people. And so in that, I just wanted to like call it out, Greg, and be like, oh yeah, like it's challenging for all of us. First of all, I had to let you speak, right? Second of all, recognizing too that so often we can identify as the victims to the point where we don't even realize where someone else might have been a victim of another system, right? Or might have been my and victim is maybe too strong of a word in certain cases, but might have started behind the eight ball, right? Like might have not had as much as we think they have compared to us. And that's the other thing too, is this comparison. And right. and I think in so many ways, because equality happens from a basis of comparison, it's hard, it, like you can't remove the comparison from it, but but comparison in and of itself doesn't actually lend itself to forward momentum in a lot of ways. Because if I'm sitting here and comparing my upbringing to Greg's, right, he's always going to be ahead of me in so many ways. And there is not, the, I'm, I'm not trying to say there's not anything that can be done about that, but there's not in many ways, a productive forward movement in me sitting here and comparing. I don't think, and here's why I don't think that, because I cannot go back in time and relive my childhood. Greg cannot go back in time and relive his childhood, right? Like, so we are all here now. What can we do differently to move forward? I think we get... And I hope, I mean, y'all can come for me if you want. I'll just have to grow a thick skin. But <laughs> I think it's so easy for people like myself, any kind of person who has whatever their race, gender, whatever background they've come to this with that has not been the status quo in whatever society that you are in. It's so easy for us to say we were not the ones who were privileged. We were the victims of the system. And so 
they should do this for us now, or we should be able to do this now. And when the groundwork for your argument is we were the victims, that is true. And it can also mean that you stay there and you never Mm -hmm. hear somebody out and you never meet in the middle because the victim always needs justice, right? And justice for many victims looks like revenge. So I'm saying a lot right now, but I just wanted to kind of just share my immediate visceral reaction and my thoughts around that and um, kind of just toss that out there. Chelsea, thank you. That like mic drop moment right there, first of all. Thank you for sharing so fucking openly. And and I'm so glad that you shared that visceral response because actually even when Greg and I had a conversation prior to this, but about this podcast, we were going over some, some notes and stuff. When he started to share that same thing with me, I too started to have a visceral reaction of like the, okay, but like we have to, to recognize like the, I don't know if, if you all have seen the video of uh, where they lined up kids of, of different colors and, and races. And then it was like, take one step forward. If you had this, take one step forward, if you had this and across the board, all the white kids ended up at the front. Now that wasn't broken down by gender, but they, it, it across the board, there wasn't even a question. It was like the white kids were miles ahead of the black kids and of, of any other child of color. And Chelsea, to your beautiful point, many in there, but one of the most beautiful points is that when we don't give people a chance to, to speak and we don't provide a space to listen, we're going to miss things. We're going to, to miss the, the opportunity to show compassion for our fellow humans and therefore also be able to actually show more compassion to ourselves in a lot of ways to help further each one of us, both individually and collectively. So Greg, I want to give you a chance to kind of like jump in here too, if you have any, any thoughts and we still have so much more that I want to go through, but I, Chelsea, thank you. Cause this is such a beautiful set of points that we're digging into. Thanks to you. <laughs> This feels like a multi-episode situation. I think so. This might be like an, a series with the three of us. <laughs> well, I, I love the the honesty to to the emotional reaction. And I think it's just such a, a good example of like, think about how much learning you guys have done in digging and you still have these reactions. So if we're going to break down walls and if we're going to make progress as a human beings and how might we improve things, We have to have these conversations and we have to start finding those ways to embrace that empathy and realize we are in this together. We're we're on this rock together, flying through space at 67,000 miles per hour, you know, in our galaxy or whatever it is. Like we have to work together here if we want things to improve. And being a parent now of a four-year-old son, like I am so conscious of how you know, these preset biases that get passed down generationally that we don't think about or the ways that we consume information. Like I am so conscious of how we are showing the world to him. Me and my wife talk about it all the time. And we still see so many different things that are like that old way of thinking happening today in parenting and so many cringe worthy moments that we witness in parenting now. So it's been a it's been a big uh, eye-opening to now think about 
the next generations that we're equipping here. Um, so yeah, anyway, first of all, I really appreciate that. Appreciate the honesty. And I'm always thinking about how might we professionally, I used to go into rooms with, you know, executives in a boardroom and they'd all, you know, were hired to produce something. Let's just call it a massive website for them. And they all have 20 different ideas of what they think this thing will be. So I always enjoyed the challenge of how are we going to get these 20 individuals on the same page of what this thing should be. And that's something that I just, I love that challenge of getting people aligned and uh, going after the same goal and uh, trying to remove subjectivity, uh, which is those personal reactions that we have. And like, let's take a look at this from a step back here, third party point of view subjectively, and how do we get on the same page? So that's, um, again, Emily, having these conversations in a safe spot is where we're going to start, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I, Chelsea, I want to circle back with you for a minute. Um, and then Greg, I've got some very specific points I want to cover with, with you as well to then get Chelsea involved with that aspect too. Chelsea, I wanted to kind of circle back to the point that you made about safety, because the other, the other part that you mentioned to me when, when this, this post initially came up was that how difficult these truths were to accept because they made men seem a lot more nuanced, a lot more human and that humanity can be related to and forgiven. These are your words, but that if you forgave, you would be unsafe and could be hurt again. And, and you, you said to me, you know, I'm not even talking about an instance in my own life. It's, that it's a learned response just from being a woman in the world at this time in history with everything that's, that's come before us. So I want to dig into that with you a little bit too, and, and then get Greg's, Greg's take on that, because that safety element, that core safety element, I think is really important. And I talk to a lot of women who maybe have been uh, really badly hurt by men and, and in a variety of different ways, like emotionally, psychologically, mentally, physically, um, financially, like, like so many different ways. And that if, if that healing work is not done and if it, it is left, it, if it is left to fester and if someone continues to have negative experiences with men, if a woman continues to have negative experiences with men over and over again, this can be applied to anyone, but right now we're just looking at it through that lens. How, how does that relate to these these viewpoints that we societally often have on men as being the super privileged ones, like, oh, you're way up here and, and us women are way down here. And how can we even build that bridge if it can seem like that's leading us into a sense of less safety? By even seeing men as human, are, are, are we somehow less safe as a result of that? Talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah, I think it's it's another one of those visceral reactions, right? Mm-hmm. I and I I think that too um like you were saying the healing work is is individual, but I also think it's societal and I don't think enough of that has happened and I don't even know how it would happen because let's be real, it's not like the government is going to create <laughs> safe spaces for anybody to do anything. I mean, maybe it's like a NGO grassroots situation. I don't know. I don't know what the systems are. Right. But (laughs) I think that, (laughs) I think that like, as, as women in the world, as, as people, beings who carry this characteristic of womanhood, 
um, there's some healing that needs to happen. And I think in so many ways, that's what, for example, the Me Too movement was. Like when that kicked off, it was a huge step towards healing for the entire woman race, if you will, right? Um, but the, it, it's, and, and the healing work is also coming to a place of, I think, acceptance that this is the way we do feel because we've been taught in so many ways to suppress these feelings. We don't have feelings. We just do the things we got to do. We move on. Like feelings, emotions, visceral reactions. What are those things? We've got work to do. <laughs> Right. We've got goals we're trying to achieve. We're making strides for women in corporate spaces. We are this, we are hey, emotions. What? <laughs> no. <laughs> so, first of all, accepting and making space that this is real, these are valid. This is where we're at. And then also, I think, and you kind of spoke to this, I think you like just mentioned it really briefly, Emily, um, in the beginning of this conversation, like retraining our nervous systems mm -hmm. to process these things differently because, and even having the space to do that, because if you continue to have horrible interactions with men, how will you ever get the chance to retrain your nervous system to do, to like respond differently, right? So it, it's, it, there's the awareness and egg. to it. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, so there's that awareness piece to it. There's retraining your nervous system. There's the environment that you are in. I think there is also too, to a certain degree, listening louder with your actual ears. <laughs> I think there's, and I think each person has to come to that point on their own terms, right? Like sometimes you listen with your body and that's like really self-focused because you need to do that. And I think other times, like just using that moment with Greg a couple of minutes ago, I had to listen, like I heard my body and then I had to listen with my ears because in that moment, him having a voice all of a sudden made me nervous and jittery, right? And it's like, oh, whoa, <laughs> hold on, Chelsea. <laughs> His voice is important here, <laughs> right? And sometimes, and so I think sometimes there's also, which is again a part of the healing, right? I'm not saying everybody has to get here, and I'm not saying I'm fully here either because, it, like, sometimes people having a voice makes me scared, makes me feel vulnerable, makes me feel unsafe, right? But I think a part of that too is as we are healing to give other people the chance to walk into a space and actually take up that space um and it's it's not easy because you don't know if that space will be given back to you right like you don't know if when you when you give up that space that you've worked so hard for hello <laughs> right that you've done so much for that you have educated around in your corporate job that you have like really sat down and talked to your family members about like to to you've worked so hard to be seen and to be heard then to step back and say oh you can be seen and be heard now too you don't know if they're gonna give that back to you it's a great point you don't know if they're gonna care enough and if it's gonna be important enough to them 
to say, oh yeah, you can have it. You, you can have some space too. Let's share this space together, right? You, it, it's, and, and even if you've seen instances of it before, I think it's hard to rewrite generationally that instinct to not trust that you, that space will be given back to you and, and not just given back to you, but, but equitably shared between and among you, all of us, all of us, basically. And so, I mean, there's the healing aspect of it happening and, and the healing is personal. And it's also, I think, societal in so many ways, and it's hard to trust. It's just really hard. And I don't, I don't have a solution for that other than the personal healing that has to happen. Um, But it's also, I think the, I think on a personal level too, as we heal individually, we can enter into more conversations like these. And the more of us walk into those conversations, the more we create room for other people who have a harder time trusting, we can demonstrate that trust, right? So like this conversation for someone who might be listening, who would never give up their space because they've worked so hard to like make it for themselves and, and be seen in a space for themselves. This conversation can be an example of, oh, they gave, for and I, I will, I will own this because traditionally I am the most underprivileged in this conversation. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Without black, question. Yeah. <laughs> as the black woman here. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we should, we should probably incorporate some other people soon, Emily, but, um, <laughs> like <laughs> I'm just trying real hard to turn this into a series apparently. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm totally down with this, <laughs> but this conversation can maybe be an example for somebody who's listening. Like the, Chelsea took up space. They, Chelsea stepped back and allowed them space and they gave Chelsea more space, right? They didn't just shut her down. They didn't not let her talk. As a matter of fact, I feel like I'm talking a whole lot. <laughs> you have beautiful things to say. I want to hear it. <laughs> I don't want to miss a minute of this. <laughs> so, you know, I think, I think as we heal personally, we can translate that into more and more smaller, gradually larger and larger spaces so that people who are just starting their own healing journeys can join the conversation and learn by learn trusting by doing, not just by like a cognitive switch in their brains, because it's just not going to work that way. Like it's, it's going to take a lot more than that. And it being demonstrated is probably a really good place to start, a really, really good place to start. Yeah. And that's partly how trust gets built is incrementally in, in the small moments over time. And, and so just even having more of these conversations for anyone listening, like having more of these conversations in amongst yourselves and, Mm -hmm. and your own friend groups and everything else, there is not only healing in that, but there is elements of trust. Is everyone going to be open to these conversations? Yeah. Probably not because it is uncomfortable as fuck. Like right. people don't want to address this. And we societally talk about being really supportive of, of men's mental health, for example. But when it really comes down to it, there's a, a very specific post that I'm referencing in the show notes with a very well-known uh, therapist, real therapist on, on Instagram. And she started talking more often about men's mental health and the comments that she got that she was getting 
not not even like like there was pure hate being spewed both towards her and towards men including like actual death threats being thrown around and it was shocking but also not surprising I, I hate to say that, but it, it seemed to me, I was like, I'm actually not surprised that this is happening because as, as semi-popular as the idea of men's mental health has started to become, when you actually dig into the core issues around it, people want to look the other way. They don't want to talk yeah. about this. Yeah. So Greg, I'd like to hear from you too, because you had some really interesting points when you and I spoke that I, I would love for you to speak to. Um, and obviously please speak to anything that, that Chelsea has mentioned that you want to address, but I'd also love to talk to you a little bit about some of the ideas that you and I discussed around male privilege and, and defining that, that role and the examples that are, are given to us culturally in, in a variety of different contexts as well. Well, first of all, to circle back to what Chelsea said, I think you just nailed it right there. Uh, it starts it starts small. It starts with ourselves before it goes to larger groups. Uh, like to think about this mass change all taking place in our lifetime, even or over you know a shorter period of time is just uh, it can be pretty disappointing to think about how long that could take. But if we start with ourselves, and then we start to extend and get comfortable, even with the words coming out of our mouth, sometime that we just keep inside in that self narrative that we have with ourselves. I think we got to try and break that self-narrative and, and get comfortable sharing. That's the only progress. And Emily, you must see it in your male groups all the time that like to have a space to say what even is on their mind maybe or what's in their heart or their feeling, um, there's just not a lot of opportunity to do that. It can um, be brand new to a lot of them. Like some, I, there are men who who have shown interest in, in joining future men's groups who almost seem stunned that this is available to them. Because they've never had this opportunity in their lives, even with the people closest to them, which is fucking right. heartbreaking when we think of that. Yeah. Sorry. I had to jump in with that. Continue. No, that's great. And I mean, <laughs> we're just not naturally, we got to think, why are men not good at communicating feelings? That's often a label we get right away. Like, just tell us how you're feeling. Well, that's not natural you know since we were little kids falling off our bike and being told you know suck it up you're fine keep moving on um we've learned to suppress it and we've learned to not share that's not the definition of what being a man maybe for a lot of males it was tough you got to be tough and that means you know not sharing feelings and not talking about feelings and and so you got to be tough when you're younger and we yell at you for not being tough and then when you're older and you're tough we yell at you for being tough. <laughs> right that's a right. great way of framing it chelsea <laughs> yeah, what the fuck greg <laughs> yeah i know we're expected to learn fast i guess <laughs> well, well i've been actually... married i've been married 13 years and i'm still learning Right to communicate feelings better, or in a way, and it's always in the way that you do it, right? And the timing of it, and it's a never-ending learning process, which I think we need to be okay with. Mm -hmm. um, but it has to start somewhere. Um, and you know, I think when I said earlier, I see cringy moments still. It's when I do see a little girl fall off her bike, and the parents run over and hug her and give her all the love. And the same thing could happen to their son. And literally, it's like you're fine. Let's go. And I think it just starts and uh, we learn to, to really suppress it. 
And, and as a parent, goes for a, both topics and all topics we're talking about here today, I think. Yes. And as the parent of a little boy, I think it's so powerful that you are having these, these conversations and that you are so actively thinking about this and noticing the differences because that even just that acknowledgement is, is going to change how you are able to be there for your son and what you're able to teach him as he grows so that maybe when his generation is is our age, they're going to potentially be living in a very different world with a very different set of norms and a lot more humanity than we see currently. And that is that that ripple effect, like Chelsea, to your point as well about, you know, well, how how do we start to heal collectively? Well, it starts with the individuals and more individuals having these conversations. The ripple effect that comes out from that is astronomical. And, and we, we underestimate the power of that. We can be like, well, I'm just a drop of water in the ocean. Okay, but the ocean is made up of the drops of water. So we have to look at it that way and understand that we are part of a more collective consciousness that can, that can, can shift and grow and evolve together as each one of us does our work and, and starts to open up to even the idea of, of a different reality that is is open and, and available to us well i have to say and that's what i love learning from chelsea in your la- last episode of emily i think it was maybe 266 maybe episode 266 <laughs> anyway um it's just like we went through so much there was the the me too and the the blm and all these movements and things were happening right and you had to take a hard look in the mirror and if you didn't and you just turned a blind eye you you know, you're just putting tone deaf material and content out there. And I felt like, you know, I closed up and I started opening up my input from, you know, all sorts of different sources and really started to do that work. And you're right. It starts with yourself. And then you start thinking about the others that may not be doing that. And how can we start to have the conversations or teach the next generations to break some of these norms that have been carrying on for so long um generationally and you know having a son you know like disney's a thing for kids right and even like if you look at all the disney movies from his existence of four or five years it is all female lead roles and you know there's the moana the frozens and mulan and brave and encanto like all the girls all the girls (laughs) and I still think sometimes, like, where are the boy examples? Where are the male examples? That's a really good question. And where, that I have like, where never are they going to learn? Considered until this moment, right? <laughs> like, this goes to show, right? <laughs> and I, when when Greg mentioned this, because Chelsea, I had the same reaction. I had a head exploding emo- a moment because I was like, I have never thought of that. And even when we think back to, because that was a big thing, was like Disney's push to to have more strong female roles. But I think back to the Disney movies that were biggest when we were kids and by far the majority of them, it's usually a damsel in distress with the the male role that is, is a leading male role is his entire purpose is basically just wrapped up in rescuing the damsel in distress. And like, there's there's no power on either side. (laughs) No power on either side. Right. Are you actually a prince? Friend, even some of the movies that are coming out now, I'm like, you are not doing any kind of leading in your kingdom. What the heck is this? You are not a prince. You are you are a dude. This is not <laughs> king energy. <laughs> this is not, 
toxic energy at all? Like, Greg, you just, yeah, that's a really good question. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, I love you, love the Disney example, but it's something <laughs> of where the pendulum has attempted to swing and we can see it and we can feel it. But if it sticks too much to one side or if we can't work our way back to the middle somehow and, and open these dialogues to find good examples, to find, you know, ways of teaching, um, then I am get concerned that the pendulum is going to stick for too long to one side and it's unproductive as well. It is. Yeah. It absolutely is. And, and Greg, you mentioned another example, a couple other examples to me too. Uh, well, since you mentioned communication. I'd love to dig into that with you, as well as some divorce examples and some examples around business where like there's so many business groups and, and Chelsea and I are both entrepreneurs, female entrepreneurs. We know this. There's all kinds of like conferences and stuff like that. And you made a really good point about if you ever saw a conference where it was like men, men in technology, for example, there would be outrage. Like outrage. People would freak out. We'd be like, what the fuck is going on at that conference? Like that must be some incel shit. What is going on? <laughs> Absolutely. Right. Like I just use that with you that one day, Emily, as an example to think about that emotional reaction and how fast it can happen. Right. Like we do, it we happened. Have, it yeah, happened. Right there, right? <laughs> women in tech, just now. Women in design, <laughs> women in leadership. Like, and of course there's zero problems with that. That's a good thing. Right. Like collectively, it's a good thing. But again, it's just an example of the pendulum swinging so far that could you imagine if it was a men in tech conference or a men in marketing 2022 conference, like that feeling that you're feeling by even just hearing those words, it shows that, you know, we have to start bringing it back to the middle and be a little bit more inclusive, or we're just creating more divide yeah. uh, in areas where we probably don't need to be. And I love that all three of us had that visceral reaction, like a white woman, a white male and a black woman. We all had that same reaction to the idea of like a men in technology conference. <laughs> so it just goes to show like how deep those roots go that it, it, we all felt that We're like, Ooh, that no, that is not a good look. <laughs> no, no, I can't and, imagine. And Greg, I was actually going to ask you like, what just you as an individual and as a man what space would you like to see that you feel that you could fully participate in and would be like a new space for you like a men in marketing conference or or it doesn't have to be in business it can be like in your personal life too but like I'm just curious and I'm asking you to be vulnerable so you don't have to answer but I am just curious because I don't, I don't think personally I have enough of these conversations with men either. And so I just kind of wanted to grasp the bow by the horns, if you will. Well, I think it has to be a, a mix, right? Like, you know, Emily, I, I'm very curious to hear your take on this because you do run men's groups. So I, I think like the fact that they exist and you gave the example of like, they're surprised they exist. You know, how do the wives feel about their men going to a men's group? Uh, could you imagine if their wives sat in on those men's groups? Would they actually be open and honest in sharing? Um, or do we really need those closed doors of that safe space? Like, is that where we have to start? 
Um, but I do see it has to be uh, open and mixed. Like we need all mixes in here to have these conversations, but they got to start small, I guess, and, and graduate. But the safe places like this, honestly, Chelsea, and that's why I love, you know, podcasts in general, because the safest place is with yourself first and thinking through it and reflecting. You know, I'm a systems person, so I'm always have points of evaluation of my experience and reflecting on who I am. Have I grown? What's working? What's not? And I think that those same groups, if they could do that collectively, like Emily, if after a month or two or three months, that group of men you have go back and say, wow, I feel so much safer and more equipped to communicate my feelings. I'm okay if more women come in the group now and we can have these more open dialogues. And I think that that's where we have to, to start in terms of trying to even measure progress at a, at a small level. Absolutely. And, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned that about how the, the potential like wives, girlfriends, partners um, feel about a woman running a men's group. And when I started the men's group, I, I think I've mentioned this on a previous episode. I had a lot of, I work with men privately. I have for years. I, I worked with men almost exclusively in male dominated industries for 11 years. But when it came to running a men's group, I was like, who the hell is going to attend a men's group run by a woman? Like that just seems like it defeats the purpose because I am very much a believer. And I teach this to the men in my group that men need men. Men need other men just as much as women need other women. And just as much as men need women and, and vice versa. Like uh, it, we all have a need for each other in a variety of different contexts. And What's fascinating to me is that the, the insights that I was given, the feedback that I was given was that one of the men, um, there, there was a, a male who reached out to me on Instagram, who was interested in joining the men's group. Very, very interested. It just didn't work out timing wise, or he would have, he would have joined, but he said, my first thought when I saw you were running this was why the hell is a woman running a men's group? And then I addressed that. I had addressed that question straight up on my Instagram and he said, and then I got thinking about it and I actually felt like, oh, it, not only am I open-minded to learn from a woman about this type of work, that sounds great. He said, but also it felt like it actually protected that group from being considered a bunch of incels or he used the term MRAs, which I had to Google. So for anyone who doesn't know, uh, incels are involuntary celibate um, and they, they feel that they want to be in relationship with women, have sex with women, but that they are not being given that and that they end up hating women and sometimes murdering women. Like it, it turns into something very scary, sometimes very quickly. Um, the other, and MRAs are male rights activists. I, I had to Google that. I didn't even know what it was. And I thought it was fascinating that he gave me that feedback. I was like, wow, I had never considered that. The only thing that I had considered going into the men's group was that there could be wives, girlfriends, partners who would actually not be okay with their partner going into a group run by a woman to share emotionally there if they aren't sharing emotionally at home. And I'm sure that that will, that that has been, and will still continue to be the opinion of some, I totally get that. But that a few days later, one of the men who actually joined my men's group gave me the feedback that his wife had read over the emails that I had sent out about the group and, and the landing page and all of that. And she had said, if this group was run by a man, I would not be okay with you joining it because I would feel like it was a bunch of incels. She said, but because it's run by a woman, I'm cool with it. Go ahead. 
And that, that actually, I was flabbergasted. I was actually blown away that, that I had never expected to get that feedback. So that was really interesting because, and I understand to a degree, definitely like the, the intergenerational reasons and the historical reasons as to why groups of men getting together can be very scary because historically that has not always worked out well for a wide variety of reasons across race, politics, wars, like all, all of the things, all of the things I am. I, I'm actually getting like chills a little bit as I'm talking about that, because history has given us long lists of reasons as to why that would maybe cause issues of distrust to Chelsea's point about trust. And what about the men who need brotherhood? like just support and open conversations. What if this is where they can start to practice communication and boundaries and learning to ask to have their needs met and to maybe feel like they aren't so alone so that we could reduce the the male suicide rate, which is three times that of women globally. Like we can't continue to operate off of these old paradigms and expect a different result. There, There are some really frightening statistics out there that like it just the, the life expectancy gap persists men this is a u.s stat this varies obviously in different countries but across the globe women outlive men in every single country in the world and because that is considered the standard we just accept it as okay as opposed to actually digging into why and trying to do something about it. Like, like on, on a, like really trying to do something about it, not just saying like, Oh yeah, that isn't good. We should maybe look at a few things and then never acting upon that. And, and that gender gap when it comes to longevity persists. And in fact, that gap is actually wider than it was a century ago. Let that sink in for a minute. Like we, we have advanced a hundred years in technology. And, and all of the other things that have come out of the last hundred years, we have advanced more in the past hundred years than we have in any other hundred year period of time in human history. And yet the gender gap is wider now than it was a hundred years ago. That's that scary. is stunning, right? That is absolutely stunning. It's stunning. And even just things like men are 10 times more likely to be killed at work than women. 10 times. And I recognize that it's because men tend to end up in certain jobs that women don't, where there are more physical risks. But why is that? Well, then we look at education. And sure, there, there are some jobs that women just as, as, as a group, I'm speaking very generally, but as a group, maybe just aren't as likely to be interested in where some men are and vice versa. And that's cool. But when we break that down a little bit more, and we look at the fact that women are 35% more likely at this point in the UK to attend university than men, and that has that has changed in the last 40 years, because as we know, it used to be way more men got educated in developed countries than women. But that has switched and it's continuing to grow the opposite direction massively. Well, then all of the men who aren't getting the education are more likely to take jobs that are more dangerous and they are more likely to be killed at. But we're OK with that. It's like we treat men as disposable. Men are the first ones to get sent to war historically. Men, men are the ones that are more likely to take jobs like cops, firefighters, um, all, all of these different things. I, we could go on all day, but like the jobs that are uh, typically more dangerous, they just have more higher risk involved to one's physical safety. 
we're kind of cool with it. We're like, all right, men, go out there, go do our thing, go, go protect us. And, uh, and so many of us don't even question it. Exactly. So many of us accept that this is actually the way it should be. Yes, Chelsea. Yes. Yes. And why is that? Why are we okay with that historically? Why are we operating off of these, these paradigms that are fucking ancient? Like we've moved past that, but now we've gone so far to Greg's point in the other direction with this pendulum swing, where does it regulate? Where, where do we find that, that middle a little bit for that equality? That's, that's the piece that we're missing. Greg, do you have any thoughts on this? I'm, I'm learning. I'm trying to digest <laughs> everything you just said. It's a lot, right? And, and you know, being who, who I am and in that category, it's really hard to hear. And if you dig back and if you think about generationally what has happened, immediately I just got washed over with a feeling of like, I should just be quiet and listen and learn. And that's that's the reaction that I hear when I think about the things that have happened. You know, there's a reason why the pendulum swinging and I can see that it absolutely had to happen. Yeah. Right. So I guess when you're saying is how do we bring it back to the equality side? That's that's the challenge. I can tell you personally at where I am in life that a lot of um, friends and family that I know that are in my age are going through divorce. And that's a harsh reality of it. And it's it's scary because the men I know going through the situation close off. They shut everything down around them and they just hold it all in. They are not going to speak to anybody about these feelings that they have going through it. They're just holding it in. They're the ones leaving the house. And the examples that come to mind, they're the ones leaving the house, going to get an apartment by themselves. And they literally hunker down and don't talk to anybody. And that's, it's kind of scary um, that they don't have a safe space to go to. And back to the communication, they don't even know how to call their friend of 20 years and talk to them about it. So it becomes very isolating. So how do we eliminate, you know, those isolating situations, I guess, is a, is a starting point. I'm in my 40s and I just started therapy this past year for the first time in my life, simply to explore myself and i have uh, a lady who's older than me as my therapist chosen uh, uh to teach and help me reflect back at me on things like this that i'm still trying to learn for myself um but yeah we have to start somewhere in those conversations i'd love to get chelsea's take because if she had a reaction because uh, i had the reaction of like i have nothing else to say i better just be quiet oh <laughs> <laughs> We want you here, Greg. Greg, there's a reason why right. we have you here. We very yeah. much want you here. So for the yeah. record. <laughs> I'm, I'm over here like, uh, side note, Greg, that's not the reaction we want. <laughs> oh, I know, I know. But that, but that feeling feel like, of washing, right? Over, yeah. Yeah. And, and I also feel, too, like, I feel almost like there's a lot of men that have that reaction to the things that happen in society in general to them is like the women have so much to say let me just be quiet and there's nothing there's there might not be anything wrong with that right like greg as you were sharing just now you're you're just kind of absorbing and processing and like nothing wrong right 
And I also think, again, to Greg's point about the pendulum swinging, that can be a learned response for men because the pendulum has swung and stuck. I don't even know if swung is the right past participle there. What is that word? Swung's Swung a word. Swung's yeah. a word. Yeah. Are we sure? Yeah. Okay. It's so funny. Whenever I'm recording a podcast, sometimes I'll say things. I'm like, is that a word? Like, but it is. You're right. You're right. <laughs> it has swung and kind of stuck in the other direction. I think men have learned a response that is either shut up, shrink down, hunker down, like I'll just get through it or I won't, you know, whatever. Um, or they've learned the other side of it, which is like, this aggression, this toxic masculinity, this hating woman, this, this like really gross thing that women are so scared of them becoming, right? Um, and so untrusting of them because that was the norm before. And the, the thing that women have wanted for decades and centuries has produced the very thing in some cases that we have not wanted, you know, in that sense. Um, yeah, it's, damn, it's a complex world, man. <laughs> it's a complex world. And, and honestly, you can, you can listen to these things forever and just feel so overwhelmed by it. Um, and I didn't realize, honest to God, I didn't realize how grateful I would be for this conversation. Mm. Um, Greg, thank you so much for like saying yes to this because I, it kind of just makes me realize I feel like I need to have more conversations with men in my life and hear like thought processes and hear what you guys have to say because I told Emily this um I think Emily because <laughs> I honestly did not believe before Emily said it which was friend was it like maybe three four months ago you said this to me for the first time like really really said it um, that you really be, like, you know, you know, for a fact that there are so, so many good men out there. When she said that to me, Greg, I was just like, and people listening, wonderful listeners. <laughs> I was just like, huh? Really? I don't, I don't know. And she said it maybe once or twice more. And I thought to myself, you know, maybe I can believe this because Emily has said it. And I trust Emily. And I think what I'm trying to say in bringing that up is we don't know because we don't give y'all the space to be good men sometimes. Like we don't, I think, oh, wow. That just came out of my mouth. Oh, and I'm starting to cry, by the way, so. Me too. <laughs> There's that. <laughs> Me too. Um. I think that for women in a lot of ways, men communicating is one of the most powerful experiences for us that help us like actually see men as good men. Um, because we're, we're, the, the status quo is men providing, is men doing the hard work, is men doing all that crap, right? And I call it crap really loosely, forgive me. <laughs> Um, but <laughs> we don't give y'all enough space to communicate and we don't have enough patience for men to communicate because y'all don't, it, it's, as you said, Greg, it's something that you're learning to do, 
right? It's not something that men are naturally taught to communicate the insides of them, <laughs> right? You can create and present a marketing presentation or a project management thing. Like that's really easy. <laughs> Communicating all the stuff inside of you, that's hard work. And it's not something that you like, I don't think we teach boys as young boys to do. We don't teach men to do it and we don't create enough space for men to do it. Um, so thank you for having this conversation, friend, because I just realized I need to do that more. Because I don't, I don't think I hear enough from the men in my life. Because I always assume that they don't want to do it, and I don't know right. that because I haven't asked. Greg, do you want to do it? <laughs> speak, for, speak for all men right now, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> oh, just, just what you guys just shared is that's it. Like, you know, there is got to be more men that have tried to be good humans and be kind to others and you know nobody's perfect none of us are perfect but to have the ability to just converse without you know the thought of you know you're saying something wrong you're doing something wrong like just that freedom to to converse and get better and have the room to grow together room to grow is uh is all we can ask for and that's all that's all really i think a lot of us need um and the willingness to go deeper with ourselves for our self-awareness check-ins and and ways of doing that. I can barely see you all on my screen because my eyes keep blowing up. So there's that. <laughs> Full disclosure. In a little bit, just since I cried on a podcast episode. <laughs> I I know like I mean, Fred, oh, when sorry, that ahead, came Justin. out of my mouth just now, I was just like, wait, what? What? <laughs> like I I, I yeah so yeah and I just love this because you know women are women in particular but some men too are often surprised like given my history with wounding severe wounding from very important men in my life like very foundational uh people in my life that I am the one who is like pro-men and and like defending men and supporting men and how can we create more safe spaces for men and when I see the ripple effect that can come out, even Chelsea, even just when you, when you said to me just a couple of weeks ago, you, you said pretty much what you, you just said now, but like, you are the only woman I know you said this to me that can look me dead in the eye and, and say that there are so many good men and that you actually believe me. And that was, that hit me really hard because I was like, you mean there aren't many women out there that believe there's lots of good men? Like, why am I the only one? And I'm not the only one, obviously, but <laughs> I just want more of these conversations to happen for everyone's sake. Men need these conversations. Women need these conversations. No matter how you identify, non-binary, I don't care. Have, have more of these conversations because start start getting curious. That, that's what I talk about threaded throughout everything I teach is to get curious. And when people are presenting statistics to you that are, you know, like 85% of, of, uh, of CEOs of fortune 500 companies are men, you're right. That's true. And start questioning what are all of the other statistics as well? Where are the complexities? Where is the nuance that we can bring to this conversation as opposed to focusing on singular, very specific, um, 
snapshots that do not give a complete picture of someone's humanity. That is what I want to emphasize the most is to start critically thinking and start doing some of this research for yourself. Start doing some of this work for yourself and see what starts to come as a result because you may be pleasantly surprised in the best possible ways. And frankly, it's a lot, it's a lot easier energetically to function in the world from a place of love and trust and uh, curiosity and compassion than it is to hang on to anger and misunderstanding and uh, just this, this hostility that, that both sides can have towards each other. That actually takes way more energy than doing the work to get to a different place and a different set of perspectives that, that you can start making as opposed to relying on old paradigms and assumptions that have probably just been passed down to you in a lot of ways, or that you have adopted through singular experiences with individuals in your life and then writing off an entire gender of people. That's not okay. And, and frankly, you are the one who is suffering in that instance. And I don't mean any of you, I mean, very generally, you are the one suffering from that far more even than anyone else around you. You are not doing yourself any favors by not having these conversations. I think that was a double negative and that was not what I intended, but you know what I mean? <laughs> so does anyone have like any final thoughts? Because I know this has been a little bit longer conversation than we sometimes go for, but this, this was a big conversation. So, and we may need to make this a series because I also love having both of you on and I think we work really well together. So final thoughts, if anyone wants to, to add anything here. Well, I just want to ask Greg, like what questions would you like or would you love for anyone to ask you as a man because now I'm like okay what where do I start I got work to do I got homework now <laughs> that's where a great question Chelsea I love this yes <laughs> again we're asking Greg to speak for all men which is well, not necessarily fair but <laughs> we acknowledge that that is not fair but we're asking it anyway <laughs> listen if any if any of y'all listeners want to also like share with Emily on social media, yep. what questions women should be asking men. We welcome all of that too. Okay. Please. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Love it. Well, I would have to say there's just one question uh, that we don't get asked often and that we struggle with the most. And it's, how do you feel? Mm. And it's basically starting there. And that would be the one question I would say is a good starting point for men to be like examining and all of us. You know, when we talked about those things that came over us, it's like, ooh, you know, explaining how we're feeling and then digging deeper on that as to why. Get out of the surface stuff. We don't need to be focused on headlines or anything, but how do you feel? And it could be on any topic. You could literally ask, how do you feel about the sunshine today? How do you feel about anything? And it's just that practice of taking that and reflecting on it and being able to output it in, in a way that's the other party can receive. I'd start there. What a great I also want to, I also want to say too, um, thank you Greg for that question. Um, as someone, I'm, I also wanted to just put it out there that I think that I have to be conscious of not walking into any sort of relationship that I have with a man expecting him to educate me. Um, it's not my right to know how he feels. He offers that if he wants to, and I have to walk in being open to understanding 
and not forcing him past his boundary of vulnerability. And I only say that because as a black woman, sometimes we have to, or 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 it, it's put on us to educate white women around us or white men around us. And we don't have that responsibility, right? Like I also have to acknowledge that I, if I want to know, there's tons of other resources out there. I don't have to like, you know, it's not on the men in my life to educate me. And if I do this and how I do this matters. And if I do this, it really needs to come from a place of connection and not from a place of educate me. Tell me more about men. I would like to know. <laughs> kind of a vibe. So I just wanted to put that out there for all of us. Beautiful point, Chelsea. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really great point. And even just, um, you kind of just mentioned this as well, but not pushing someone past their comfort zone in terms of maybe how much they want to share too. So sometimes we can ask the question, you know, how, how do you, if we ask the question, like, how do we feel? Yeah. Greg, like kind of like the, the expansion of the nervous system, it's like dick, dipping, <laughs> dipping, <laughs> dipping our toe in the water. It's <laughs> a hell of a <laughs> purple slip there, Freudian slip perhaps. Um, <laughs> but really dipping our toe in the water with this person or, or, or providing a safe space for this person to again, build up that trust because the, the man on the other end of that question may not trust that you are actually serious about offering him the space to truly open, or he might be so uncomfortable or so um, not used to being given the space to open that he might open the door, just like a crack for you. And, and you have to be okay with that. Like you have to be satisfied with that. And to allow that trust to grow, to continue to show up as that safe space. And with the right relationship, again, platonic, romantic, doesn't matter. That will hopefully continue to expand over time, but it needs to kind of go on his schedule as well as yours. It can't just run on yours. Like I want this much information from you or this much vulnerability as to how you're feeling. Well, that might not, yeah, like it might not be okay for him. And, and we have to be okay with that too, because if the roles were reversed, we would not be okay with someone forcing us as women to open more than, than what we want to. So that again, comes back to the equality point. The we have to be okay with it. It both sides. Yes. And the very much the humanity of it. Yeah. What an incredible conversation. I knew this was going to be incredible, but this has like far surpassed all of my expectations and my expectations were already high because I knew that both of you are amazing and that this is going to be awesome. But like, this has just blown, blown far past anything I ever could have wanted. So thank you to both of you for showing up so openly and bravely and courageously for this and just being so honest, like really, truly, deeply honest. I think that a lot of people are really going to hopefully benefit from, from hearing both of your perspectives. Thanks for having us friend. Thank you, Emily. Now I know that if anybody comes to me, I have two other people who I can lean on. So you sure do. <laughs> Got your back, my friends. <laughs> Thank you, Chelsea. Thank you, Emily. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast today. It means the absolute world to me, and I'm so grateful. For any references in the episode and all show notes, be sure to jump over to roomtogrowpodcast.com. And if this episode touched your heart, it would mean so much if you would take a quick second to hit subscribe, write a review, and share on social media or with someone who really needs to hear today's message. It makes such a difference to keep this podcast going so I can continue to bring you amazing content and absolutely incredible guests. 
Be sure to tag me over on Instagram at Emily Goff Coach so that I can thank you in real time for listening and connect with you. We're back every Tuesday and Thursday with new episodes and I'm looking forward to growing with you.